We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating all rivals never gets old. Making our way to the big sky conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined as always by co-host Dallas Hammer. Dallas, how's it going down in Spokane? Looks a little somber in that room because there's no boxes to pack up. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I've gotten most of the boxes put away finally in, in Spokane, which is is nice. Um, today's been a weird day for me. Johnny Hecker, the Rams' longest tenured player, Izzy's favorite player because, you know, Tubbs and the special teamers we have this weird relationship, uh, is being released by the Rams. Andrew Whitworth retired. So I'm like, I'm still hanging on to the last little bit of football and not fully committing to the veggie talk that we get to have here shortly. Well, we're going to put that off for a couple more minutes before we dive into the episode. Martin live martin s heemstra live from moscow our official correspondent from the 83843 how's it going martin i am doing good it is a cold it is a windy rainy it was a windy rainy day in moscow today i'm having a good evening so far i'll take your word for it and Today, we have a little bit of a change-up in the episodes. For the moment, there's no football news, or we're choosing to batch minor football news into future football updates. And today is a, it's a day of basketball. We're going to close the book on the men's basketball season and a certain uh, discussion about a certain head coach named Zach Loss. We'll get there. But uh, we're going to open up Around the Bar, brought to us by Hughes River Expedition, we have some – look, the women's basketball team, that's what we're going to lead the show with, guys, because uh, women's team, they had a, a strong showing at the Big Sky Conference Tournament. And we – look, we just need to jump – we're going to jump right in. You know, we talked – we did a pregame for Idaho's first-round game against 11-seed Portland State last week. And that game, man, we almost shouldn't have done a pregame. Idaho just beat the shit out of Portland State one uh, 75 to 52. Louise Forsyth led the way with 20 points, three rebounds. Uh, Tiana Johnson added 18.6 rebounds. Beyonce B, 12 points and 16 rebounds. Second round for Idaho, aka the quarterfinal. Idaho's playing Southern Utah. That's number three seed. Idaho is the sixth seed. Idaho pulls out a 77 to 64 win, uh, powered by 22 points from Sydney Gandy. Beyonce B, 16.6 rebounds. Really lines like that from Beyonce B. They just seem pedestrian, but they're not. That's why she's all league. Uh, Allison Kirby chips in 12.7 rebounds and four assists. Then in the semifinal game, which really functioned to me as the championship game, even though Idaho's playing number two Montana State, that means bottom half of the bracket because Idaho State lost early. The field opened up. In a real tight game, wire to wire, Idaho falls to Montana State, eventual Big Sky Conference Tournament champion Montana State, 73-67. to Beyond Speed puts up 22 points, 12 rebounds. Allison Kirby, 8 points, 16 rebounds. And uh, I guess I j- this is where I'm going to have to throw it to Martin. This season, 
look, it started out rough. We talked about that. Um, but really from about the midway point or a little past the midway point, this Idaho team relative to rebuilding for them, they, they came together like we would hope, or we might believe a John, a John Newley team would. And they did Martin take it away, man. You were watching the tournament. Mm -hmm. Is anyone Um, walk us through from round one to that nail biter that we went down against Montana state. What was it like? The first, let's first off first round game against Portland state kind of think kind of happened how I would like to have seen with the playing kind of getting, trying to get the ball to the inside post and let Beyonce be in Tiana Johnson do their thing inside and just dominate, which is what I kind of thought would happen and which is what did happen. Like we kind of held off on shooting threes, which if they were shooting threes and missing, then it's going to be close and they didn't do that. Second round game. It's almost like that game. It was just kind of a pedestrian Idaho win. It's kind of what, if you're anything I was going to win, this is this, this, the quarterfinal game is what I would have expected for this team and coming out of them. And they showed, like, I thought it was this actually, I thought it was more, I was more, I would say hung up on if Idaho was going to win or not this one. I was more, I wasn't as confident against Idaho, Southern Utah as I was against Montana state. Um, these just because we blew them out at home, Southern Utah blew us out when we played them in Southern Utah. So it was, I was a little more, I was nervous there. Then, semifinal game, which was the this is one of those Idaho should have won. I I have no problem saying that with that one this, again. This game, Idaho led, led a little bit, so it was a I don't led like it was very much back and forth. No one led by more than five, six points at a time. I think maybe Montana State jumped out to like a 14 to four run, 14 to six run somewhere in there in the beginning. And I thought maybe it was going to be a little more of the kind of clunker blowout, clunker blowout game than it was going to be ugly. But Idaho showed like this game was more, this Montana State game was kind of a microcosm of the season get blown out early, come back, fight ahead, get ahead, win some, win the, win the the battle lead and then kind of blow it late in that game. It was not pretty. And another stat that I told Brian in her outline that says, I will read, I don't had 21 turnovers this game. And it was, it was ugly. It was, they didn't, I didn't even score in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter. And if they, and they still kept it to within six for most of the game until the end when they have to start fouling for threes, fouling for free throws. They they should have been in the finals. They should have probably won the tournament, but it it just didn't happen. And it was a I will blame the turn the 21 turnovers on this semifinal game, at least for the tournament. Yeah, Idaho was it led by one at the end of the first half. Then at the end of the third quarter, Idaho still leads by one, which is just just to make it clear, this was pretty dang close the entire game. Idaho did have have some lead, like Idaho led by four or five at the end of the first quarter, but the leads didn't exactly stretch much beyond that. And then last 
man, that last five minutes was rough for Idaho where it really looks like the team. I don't know if you would call it fatigue. I mean, Montana state's a good basketball team and Mon- good basketball teams get, make you look bad if you're not executing really well. Uh, Montana state, like uh, Darian white was l- the MVP of the big sky conference tournament. She's point guard for Montana state. Um, she, to me, uh, end of the game, she kind of took over for Montana yep. state and, this isn't a complaint about Beyonce B. This is just the difficulty of when your best player is a post player. They're dependent on other people to get them the ball. Yeah. Well, when Idaho was struggling with turnovers, it meant we just we weren't getting Beyonce B enough good looks at the end for what we needed at that oh, point. Yeah. And Montana State capitalized, and that's why they're in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And they have to play former Vandal head coach Tara Vanderbeer in the first round in Palo Alto, California. <laughs> Which and we well we got to announce that. Um, wait, sorry. Are you referring your friend to Montana State in the first Montana round State? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which Idaho's season is over because mm-hmm. we did not win the league, so we didn't. Idaho did not get an invite to the a uh, women's NIT or the C or the WBI or there's I think there's something else, but they didn't get a yeah. postseason invite. Yeah, Idaho's season is just done. And your know, last last couple things that I want to throw to you, Martin. This team. <clears throat> I mean, I still think there's a lot to be proud of with this team and to be excited about. But the team finished as a six seed, but would they start out Martin one and ten? Uh, the finished the yeah, season. Yeah, it was one and ten, one and eleven. Started out four. Yeah, it was a very rough start to the season, to where even I, Mister Sunshine and Rainbows Heemstra, was starting to doubt this team, which I shouldn't have done. Which we're not going to hold that against you, but look, this team—the team finished uh, eleven and nine in the big in the Big Sky play. Uh, really made a real play for a buy at the end of the season. Finished at six, meaning just one one space outside of the top five buy. I'm I'm not disappointed, man. Uh, they made it fun. They came together in a way that you would hope a rebuilding team would. Where at the end, they were clearly. Uh, more, better, more cohesive team by the end of the season than early on, which hey, that shows the growth we're hoping for, especially out of rebuilding teams, especially out of a team that, you know, for example, Gina Markson didn't play this year. That's an all league level loss. The Vandals just didn't have. So my takeaway was even when it's rough, our women's, our women's program is great. Uh, there's reason to believe we're not going to be worse than what we were this season. What about oh, you? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of hope for next year. Even there is a lot of hope next year for this team. Like they're not losing a lot. Yeah. They're lo- going to lose players like Allison Kirby, Tiana Johnson and lose Forsyth, but still they are bringing in a lot of players. And even in, when they had that five, gosh, was it seven, seven game win streak? They're playing a lot of their newer players to get them that game time experience. So when, then when they're playing more and starting next year, that's, not going to be a brand new thing to them. They're not going to be deer in headlights. They're going to know, hey, I need to do this, not that. They're going to be doing more. They're going to be able to play to the big sky level. Yeah, we're probably not calling it rebuilding next year. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. So, Martin, question for you to close it out. Any points that you saw in Big Sky Conference Tournament for our women or any other points relating to the women's season that you you want to bring up before we say the book has been closed on 2021-2022 Idaho Vandals women's basketball? 
this season was a drop. I just want to say one thing. This season was a drop off compared to the last couple of years. They just kind of just quick stat stuff, just to kind of blast through some stuff. In 2020, 2021, they were first in conference in offensive scoring, 72, 72 points defense offense. And this past season was fifth. Scoring defense was seventh. Scoring defense in 2022 was tenth. They there was a considerable drop off just with the players that left and didn't that just not left that were not a part of the team this past season. But going forward, those they're gonna it's not gonna be bad. There, this team is trending in the right direction that we would all hope for them in the future, and that's not. And there's nothing to be nothing to be worried about with this team next year. Well, and first team all leaguer Beyonce B's back next year, mm-hmm. which that itself is a pretty huge deal. Oh yeah, can't go wrong with having probably the top player in the conference. Probably not. So Dallas, before you've been on the shelf for a minute, anything you want to add before we we our episode's going to take a hard right turn pretty quick. Yes, we're we're going to take a hard right turn. I I want to to take this little 30 seconds to say Brian and I, I don't get to watch a whole lot of the women's team, obviously because the games happen at the same time as the men's and it's, it's tough to, to watch uh, obviously. Um, why didn't anybody inform me how much more fun the women's team is than the men's team? I, I catch, you know, the, the occasional, like the COVID reschedule game, but a lot of time I just, I don't have time to watch the women as much. I focus on the men. So I know what, what I'm talking about here or attempt to feel like I know what I'm talking about here. The women's team is so much more fun than the men's team. And I think obviously that's, that's a, uh, a large part of John Newley and the, the run that he's had here, but man, that, that program is just so much more fun to watch than the men. And it's, it's tough to look back on and be like, wow, this is what real basketball is supposed to look like. I can tell you Martin's been telling you week in and week out, but that's okay. You only talk to him for sure when we're live. There might be other times too. But I think, look, that's to me, we're ready to take that hard right turn, guys. But uh, right before we shift over to a different book to close, just a reminder, you know, Around the Bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S., located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the Maine Salmon River No Return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like the one to see the Perseid Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river, and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You, you just bring your clothes, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been Vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. The other book to close is the Men's Big Sky Conference Tournament, which there's just less for us to talk about. Idaho played one game. We were the number nine seed playing number eight seed Sacramento State in the uh, first game of the men's tournament, meaning that's a 9.30 a.m. Mountain Time, 8.30 a.m. Pacific Time tip-off. Idaho goes down to Sacramento State, hashtag stingers up, 57-54. Trevante Anderson led Idaho with 11 points, um, but he shot 5-12. of 12. 
Mikey Dixon shipped in nine in his last game as a Vandal, but he also shot four of 13. A uh, couple problems that plagued Idaho throughout the game was one, Sacramento State, offensively, they did essentially what they wanted to, and defensively uh, kept Idaho from getting good shots, uh, which which means in spite of Idaho shooting 52% in the second half, just under 52, 52%, we shot 43.6 on the game. And with that filibuster out of the way, Dallas, uh, just give us your takeaways from the game uh, or run us through a couple key points in the game. We don't need to spend that much going over a game that concluded right around a week ago, but uh, you know what? Hey, this is your book to start closing. Take it away. I mean, the the two things that I wanted to to bring up was the fact that Idaho only had eight assists. Uh, you and I had spoken in the previous week about the need for uh, for the the passing uh, distribution to be much better than it had been, uh, and it had we had that one little weird spike there where it felt like Trevante had uh, double digit assists for a couple games in a row. We needed to see that. We did not see that. That's a large part of why Idaho lost. Uh, they only had eight assists, thirteen total turnovers. Um, this game was ugly and sad and depressing and made me question if I actually like the sport of basketball. And then the, then the women played and I remembered, yes, I, I do actually like the sport. Um, obviously this, this game ended up being 50, 57 to 54, but 32 points in Idaho had, or excuse me, 32 minutes in Idaho had 32 points. This game was a tire fire of sadness and depression until the last Five, six minutes, it became uh, a little bit more, I don't know, loosened up, I guess, uh, is the best way to say it. Well, Idaho uh, got in transition and finally, and got easy shots against Sac's zone. Mm-hmm. Our non-movement offense just didn't work, and Sac State was absolutely okay with Idaho's offense as it was. Absolutely, and that's, I mean... We, we've spoken about Sac State isn't particularly a good team, but what they do is the antithesis of what Idaho does, and that's that was pretty apparent. It was it felt to me, obviously this ended up being a three-point loss. It felt out of hand to me for the first 32 minutes. I just did not feel like Idaho had any sort of answer for, for Sac State's defense, and it, it ended up being a lot more fun towards the end of that, but this was just the, the perfect stamp on another mediocre to terrible season uh, just a lackluster game put out by a lackluster team yeah idaho really struggled offensively where i know it ended up being a close game it's because idaho had idaho just finally went on a run late and okay well this is the kind of credit to idaho sac state played a slower plays a slower style but if your team finishes the game with 57 points which sac state did you're probably never truly pulling away, and it just takes a short offensive run to keep it close. Mm-hmm. The big takeaway I'm going to look at is Idaho just had no answer whatsoever for Bryce Fowler, a senior second-team all-league uh, wing for Sacramento State. For the third consecutive game against Idaho, he shot over 50%, scored over 20 points. This time it was 26 points on 10 of 19 from the field. Uh, Cameron Wilbon added 18 points for Sacramento State, but I mean, realistically, Idaho looked like we were terrified defensively that Sac State would hit a bunch of threes to beat us, and we were fine letting their all-league wing post our guards up, 
essentially the entire offensive possession, which is exactly what Sacramento State wanted and why they dictated the pace of this game, why they dictated the style of this game, which became quintessential Idaho. We, even against a not very good offensive team, Sacramento State's not a very good offensive team. Uh, we It was a better effort for us, but still the Sac State controlled the game and Idaho came up short because realistically that's that was the right outcome for that for the effort we have um anything you want to talk about in this game dallas before we shift to end of the season overall takeaways not a ton um another good game from tanner christensen eight points 11 rebounds um it could have been a whole lot better idaho had this weird thing where let's get christensen the ball in the post you know good idea in theory uh, oh, but you know what? That exact play and pass did not work this time. Let's do it again and again. Well, what and again. happened, just, just to give you a little more specificity, it's still with your point, Dallas. Sac State was mostly playing a 1-3-1 zone. We were trying to pass over the top of Tanner Christensen, where if the pass works out, he's going to have a wide-open dunk. Mm-hmm. Our passes were uniform. We had about five or six pass attempts that were uniformly terrible, but also Sac State was sitting there waiting for the passes, so it was a mix of bad passes and picked off passes that uh and idaho just didn't really change up what we tried to do to get christians in the ball we ran like two pick and rolls with him where he did get good looks mm-hmm. but that, w- that was it we we didn't change up our offensive strategy that much uh in response to sac state just absolutely clogging the middle yep and that uh, this might lean uh towards what we're gonna end up talking about here it felt like oh you know what that didn't work we're gonna try it again we're gonna try it again we're going to try it again. We're going to try it again. And it honestly felt insane. Uh, by the third or fourth time, uh, I think you and I were messaging each other in the in the Discord. Uh, again, hashtag only tubs, patreon.com backslash tubs the club. Uh, I believe we were we were asking how how long can it can this go on? Like this is this is absurd. You'd feel like you'd learn, okay, this isn't working. Adapt, but nope, we're just gonna commit to doing the same thing that we've been doing and got a first round loss for it yeah the since we're talking about tanner christensen we're going to lead into some news about tanner christensen uh, in his final game as a vandal and yes the loss at sacramento state was uh freshman it covid freshman but freshman tanner christensen's final game as a vandal scored seven points uh picked up a he also sorry he picked scored eight points picked up 11 rebounds and i say it's christians christensen's final game because so far this week, Christian, Tanner Christensen is the first Vandal to enter the transfer portal. Uh, Kendall McHugh is the second Vandal to enter the transfer portal shortly after. We, we've we been told some other guys to expect are going to enter, but we're choosing. I, I'm choosing to uh, let players announce on their own. I'm fine breaking news about coaches who might be in, but we've been told to expect a good amount of Vandals are going to be entering the transfer portal. We're going to see um, what exactly happens there. Idaho finishes seven and twenty-two against D1 teams, nine and twenty-two overall, one and fifteen away from ICCU, and shifting, I guess, to the tran- to reaction to transfers. Dallas, um, I guess, what's your what's your take on what we have so far? Uh, my take is, and th- I'm about to swear here, so uh, get prepared if anybody needs to hit skip. What in the goddamn hell are we doing? Pull the plug on this shit. This is ridiculous. 
This is how many years in a row, Brian, have we had a almost fully turned over roster and it looks like we're going to do that again? So it depends on what happens with this year's roster. We already know, look, Nolan Bertain left the team. So that's mm-hmm. one gone. He was a senior anyway. Mikey Dixon graduated. Jamel King graduated. That's three people. Tanner Christensen left and uh, Kendall McHugh left. So that's a minimum of five. We're waiting on the rest of the news. And by the way, like Dan 58 saying in the comment section, best of luck to the guys who left. Uh, Tanner Christensen's a grad transfer and look, his dad actually posted on all vandals. So gave a run through of Tanner's time at Idaho and Tanner's an old school grad transfer. He wants an MBA. Idaho doesn't have MBAs. That's actually the entire premise of the grad transfer mm-hmm. rule is that you're supposed to be able to transfer and may not have to sit out if you're leaving for scholastic reasons. That's, that's the spirit of the rule in the first place. So anyway, uh, good luck to those guys, but we're at a minimum right now of four years of essentially complete turnover. Uh, heading Verlin's after the Vic Sanders year in 2017, 2018, nine guys graduated, had a new group. Uh, Verlin's last season, the that was the first year of our awful run. Everyone transferred. Then we had Kloss year one, just about everyone transferred. Then we had Kloss year two last year, just about everyone transferred. And now we're going to see if, if the trend continues, Dallas, to, and then pivot back to you, that would be we're at a bare minimum of four consecutive years of majority roster turnover. Three of those years are because of transfers. We're realistically staring at a fifth year if the trends we've been told about come to fruition. Exactly, and this isn't this isn't the University of Kentucky. It's not that half the roster went for the NBA draft or ended up in the G League every year. This is. This is guys that are not going to the NBA, guys that are going to be lucky to have pro careers overseas that are leaving this program in spades. Oftentimes, like last year, Damon Thacker and Javari Christmas were the two best guards on the team. Both ended up transferring out and went to Division II schools. So it's not like it's not like guys are moving on to bigger and better. They're moving on to oh, what's probably better situations for them. But that's we're talking about guys going to Division II. That's not. That's not what you want to be able to say about your basketball program, that every year guys are leaving, and some of them are leaving willingly for Division II schools. You're muted, Brian. It happens at least once an episode, guys. You're welcome for those who are wondering what men to do would take place. We're clearly pivoting to the clause discussion right now. So I'm going to want to bracket two things before we go further, because we might as well. Talk about the three years we've had Zach Kloss as our head coach, two the named head coach, one in interim, but he he manned the roster, the the sidelines the entire time of three seasons. The first caveat is a lot of people are wondering, hey, when is an announcement coming? I can't tell you when an announcement is coming, but I can tell you when one is not coming. And one is not coming. Yeah, Racketist69, the comments section, definitely making fun of uh, me for muting a thousand times. The you're muted, Brian, take a shot. Hashtag Tubbs drinking game. Well, you can do that at, at hashtag only Tubbs Patreon. Motherfucker. At the club. Thank you for that, Martin. Shifting back to the actual point, guys. Um, we're not going to hear an announcement. We're very, very likely not going to hear an announcement on Zach Claus this week. Reason why? is the entire athletic department was in Boise last week for, in some capacity, uh, helping facilitate the Big Sky Conference tournament. And this week, we have spring break for the players. So a lot of the players just went home from Boise. And based off the info we have, 
players certainly have not been disclosed uh, anything about if Zach Claus is, is going to be fired or if he is going to return. Based off that, we know players are going to find out before media finds out or any sort of announcement is made. So just relax this week in terms of an announcement. You should expect to not hear any news regarding that this week unless, uh, I don't know, something that the athletic department doesn't want to happen gets out, but they've been playing this pretty dang tight. So with that understood, let's pivot to the Zach Claus discussion guys, because until he's not our coach, he is our coach. And, you know, Dallas, I'm going to, you've been on the shelf while I set the table. I want to throw this to you about what direction you want to take uh, the Claus discussion, because look, brain dead. Everyone knows Claus's record is terrible. We'll get into that, but, I think it's pretty clear if you watch the show, we both think we just have to get rid of Zach Kloss and we need to go through the reasons why. Uh, Dallas, take it away, man. First, I'm going to throw this entire show on its head. Brian, let's argue why Zach Kloss should come back as the head coach of the Idaho Vandals for a fourth season. Now, I know you're throwing it back to me because you don't have an answer for that. That's uh, the thing. I don't have an answer. Yeah. I have no fucking idea. So, okay, let's let's bring it up. Uh, we're going to address the theoretical reasons. Let's say Zach Kloss were on this show and he were explaining why he should come back. What theoretical reasons could he bring up? The reasons I've heard brought up before are, one, he has not, Zach Kloss has had too many atypical kind of situations as a coach, whether that's becoming the interim coach's first year late, second year, is his COVID year. So you should really view this as some version of his first year. That's an argument. We'll talk about the rationale for why that's preposterous later. Um, another argument we've heard is look, you gotta look, you have to see those big wins Klaus had this year. Uh, and look, Idaho did have a few big wins. We, we beat South Dakota state. They're 30 and four. They're in the NCAA tournament. We beat Weber State. We beat Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is like 500, so people should not pretend that's a huge win this year. It's not an awful win, but it's not a great win. No, uh, we also that's a big win. Uh, we'll get there, um, and uh, maybe we also beat Montana. But Montana, I mean, they're they're a five seed in the Big Sky Commerce tournament. But whatever, people would say, hey, he had Zach Kloss had some of these big wins. This is this is where you have to look at because I'm now going to use Zach Kloss's words from his press conference. Um, after losing to Sacramento State. The other point is to say Zach Kloss made measurable improvement this season. Those are his words after the press conference. Those are the basic rationales of if you think you should keep Kloss. You're looking at, you're essentially looking at saying his tenure was atypical, so he needs more time. You're saying, look, he's shown dramatic growth recently, or you're going to say, look, the big wins are something you should pay attention to and more indicative of who Idaho is from there, Dallas. Because listeners already know we think those are terrible arguments, but that's what the arguments are. Dallas, take it away. What You can respond to any of them. You can bring up any stat. Let's just, let's just start rolling. I mean, I'm going to bring up some of the advanced things like the NCAA net rating, uh, the Ken Palm rating, and the RPI. Uh, they're all very similar advanced statistical algorithms to project what team is best and what team is worst takes all of the teams across the NCAA uh, division one and analyzes them essentially uh, in 2020, excuse me, 2019 to 2020 Klaus's first season, the Vandals were in the bottom 35 of all three categories. Then in 2020 to 2021, the COVID year, 
Idaho was in the bottom five of all, except for the Ken Palm rating where they were bottom six. So can I pause you really quick? Yes. Don't say, can you reframe the numbers? Because bottom five, if you're a casual listener, you don't know what bottom five is in reference to. Good point. So there are, uh, in, there are over 350 teams that are analyzed in the NCAA net rating, the RPI and the Ken Palm. Uh, it changes every year just based on what teams are becoming division one teams, essentially. So we went from 353, uh, in Zach Klaus's first year to 355 in the COVID year to 358 this year. So just over 350 teams. Idaho finished in the bottom 30 in Klaus's first year, the interim year, in the bottom five or bottom six last season. And then this season went back to finishing in the bottom 30 range. So while you could say, yes, there's measured improvement based on, yeah, he won more games this year than he did last year. He, he still didn't get to double digit wins. And the team improved from being one of the worst teams in the entire country to slightly above the worst teams in the country. Yeah, to put more specificity on those numbers real quick, I'm just going to talk about NCAA net rating because that's what the one of the things NCAA uses for seeding tournament teams. In Klaus's interim year, we were the 320th best team out of 353. In the COVID year, we were the 344th best team out of 347, or we were the third worst team in the nation. This year, we were the 326th best team out of 358, which you're talking about that trend line of, okay, we the guy's been here for three years. There isn't actually a big difference between being the 340th best team and the 320th best team. You just suck. Which we'll, Now we're talking stats. So I want to throw this back to the court and get a little take out of you there too, Dallas. We're not just obsessing about numbers, guys. It's that the numbers have to match the eye test. And the eye test we've seen these last few years is there isn't. Uh, there, there truly has not been a ton of improvement. And this season, look, if this is the, the apex season, let's talk about games for a little bit. Look, we, we lost by 48 at home to Washington State, who's solid, but they're in the NIT. They're not, they didn't even make the NCAA tournament. We lost by 32 to Sacramento State in Sacramento late this year. So if your team is supposed to come together like the John Newley team we've talked about, well, that's not what we saw on the court this year. What we saw was just like the last few years. This The team we see week one, oh, we're not any better at the end of the season. It's, a, it's essentially a barely different version of the same thing, which is going to get me to really the in-your-face thing that we saw from Claus's teams these last three years and really this year. This team doesn't pass any, any eye test defensively. There is absolutely what looks like no team cohesive defensive strategy, which the numbers completely bear out all three of his years. So in his in his uh, interim year, Klaus's uh, de- defensive rating, the ranking of it was the 305th worst defensive team in the nation, 10th out of 11 in the Big Sky. The next year, Idaho is the 339th worst rated defensive team in the nation. This is out of 347, so it's actually even worse than it sounds. 10, we are the uh, 10th out of 11th worst in Big Sky. This year, man, Idaho somehow found a way to get worse than la- than the COVID year where we won one total game. Idaho is the 345th ranked defensive team in the nation, 11th out of 11th in Big Sky, which just circles back to that big game argument. We won games where we shot a very, very high percentage. So, I mean, the, the argument here, you see a trend line defensively 
Klaus's teams are actually worse the longer he's been there. His best defensive showing was with Verlin's players and Verlin's assistants those first two years. It's just defensively, things are just getting worse the longer Zach Klaus is here to the point that, I mean, there's just clearly no defensive strategy other than try to stay with your man. There's just nothing that you could possibly call reasonable progress that you would expect out of a D1 guy who's been there for three years. And if your argument is he, he needs more time, well, defensively, more time is worse because the further he gets away from Verlin's guys, his his defensive output is has somehow found a way to diminish Dallas. Exactly. And there's it's not like the offensive rating is magically going to shoot in the in, into the top 100 and make up for all of these defensive performances. That's that's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen at this level of basketball. I'm sorry. It's just not. So Which, Jump real quick. It matches the eye test we've seen this year of if you've listened to announcers, especially non-Big Sky announcers. Idaho's defense has regularly been described as layup line against Fresno State or dunk contest against North Dakota State. So if, you, if viewers are wondering – Okay, like is this team as defensively as bad as we think they are? Oh yeah, no, no, the metrics absolutely back the eye test. This, they're f- fundamentally there's there isn't the influence you would say you would need a good coach to have. Actually, this is another coaching thing. Lots of coaches will say, "I can't teach a guy to become an elite jump shooter. We can put him in drills that help him become a better version of himself. But like, if a guy's going to be a good shooter, he's already a good shooter when he shows up." You can teach a, a guy to become a good defensive player through effort and team strategy. We're clearly failing on that regard. I, I mean, that's that's the, the whole crux of the issue here. You can make the argument that, yeah, one more games than they did last year and the scoring margin was better. It went from negative 15 to negative six. Like, you can make some arguments that, yes, there is progress, but that's not a level of progress that should be acceptable by any means. There's like, I don't understand how there aren't more people frustrated about this. Obviously there's the, the folks listening to this podcast. There's us, there's, there's people that are very, very upset with what the basketball program has turned into, but how, how is this even close to acceptable from a school that we we like to pride ourselves on you know being better than the you know making fun at, at SUU and making fun at Northern Colorado and poking fun at Portland State and all the schools that don't seem to have a commitment to their athletics like they should or have some sort of issue in their just the way that they're built that they're not going to be consistent contenders. We all have the expectation that Idaho should be good year in and year out. I'm not saying win the win the conference in football and basketball and women's basketball every year, but at least be striving to be competitive. And this team right now is okay. We, we made the improvement from worst team in the country to we competed against the bottom five schools in the conference minus Idaho state. And then had that run where we beat Montana and Eastern. And then other than that, got the shit kicked out of us all the time. How is this? Okay. How is this acceptable? Well, there's two answers there that I know this was not a literal question, but just as a little bit of feedback on that, in Klaus's three years at Idaho, we have 11 total Big Sky wins. By the way, that counts losing in the first round of the tournament three consecutive years. In this year alone, there were six Big Sky teams that finished with 11 wins or more in conference. That's just in this season. So 11 wouldn't have even been enough 
to necessarily get a first round buy. That's combining all three years. If you stretch back to Verlin's last year, Idaho has 13 Big Sky Conference wins in the last four seasons. So the answer to your question, Dallas, is we're approaching half a decade of just catastrophically awful basketball. That's why that's why the, what you're talking about, about why isn't there more outrage? It's it's fatigue at this point. It's feeling that, look, if, I mean, if Kloss comes back, man, um, it's going to be hard to sell the, the school, to the fan base that this school cares about basketball because of what we've seen. These, it'll be five years. It'll be a half decade if it comes back between Verlin's last year and Claus's final year. Which that, dude, we got to circle back. We forgot the news we we brought up on tubsoftheclub.com. We we have an article about it because one of the things we got to touch on is I forgot to bring up some people's argument about keeping Zach Claus could be like, well, we just bought out Paul Petrino. How can we afford another buyout? Zach Claus's contract was really not well publicized when he signed it. Uh, during his interim year, that was the 2018-2019 season. Or, sorry, 2019-2020 season. Kloss's buyout is only half of his remaining salary. That's it. Kloss's contract concludes shortly after the end of next basketball season. His contract gives him 130000 base salary with a 20000 media buyout, so... If Idaho's on the hook for both salary and media payout, which we're under the impression they are, that would put his buyout, Zach Claus's buyout at $75,000. We would not be having to buy out assistant coaches' contracts because those contracts would run through April 30th. So, you know, we could give him a month's severance pay and that's it. So there is no argument for cost. It's just, I can't believe he didn't bring it up. That's just a thing that was not really well known. By the time Kloss signed his contract and the details were out, no one in the media was really caring about covering Idaho basketball for the reason we just talked about with the, you know, stretch of futility. And Idaho, look, full disclosure, Idaho did not, to our knowledge, send out a press release regarding the contract. So it actually took a while. I found it on accident. It's posted to the University of Idaho's website. It just took a while to become available. But yeah, right now, buyout would be 75K. And if just like with Paul Petrino's contract, if Kloss is hired elsewhere, every penny he makes at that new job is subtracted from what Idaho owes him. So if Kloss is fired and he gets an assistant job anywhere, his buyout might be $5,000. And a quick shout out to the Central Michigan Chippewas for bringing Paul Petrino on as their offensive coordinator. All of that money that he gets paid is money Idaho doesn't have to pay him. So that... From the salary we anticipate, Idaho is saving more than Zach Kloss's buyout from just the football coach alone getting hired elsewhere. So that doesn't even take into the fact that Kloss could get a job somewhere else. Uh, it probably isn't D1 assistant. Maybe it is. Maybe it's D2. You know, who, who knows what could happen with the guy? But if he gets another job, that's even less money they have to pay him. It, it's it, The financial thing is not an argument that can be made at, by the university at this point, I feel like. that That is such a low number for a coach. Your options right now are extend the guy because, again, he's going into the last year of his deal. If anybody wasn't aware of that, he's going into the last year of his deal. Coaches never coach on the last year of their deal. It's too easy to recruit against. Uh, what kid wants to come to a, co to a university if the coach isn't going to be there next year? He's got to go. There's no – you extend him or you fire him. Those are your two options at this point. And if you're going to extend Klaus, which is, let's say they restructure his contract and his buyout's identical, but he has a 
he signs like a two-year contract as his you know re renegotiate contract, which is essentially a one-year tryout. Look, here here's the here's what we have to look at as the basis of basis of extending him as an interim coach, which again, we all know, but we have to be clear. Zach Kloss had no business ever having this contract presented to him. Of course he signed it, but it, it was a preposterous misstep for Kloss to be offered this extension uh, when he was an interim. He was, he was made interim coach by Pete Isaacson, who has since passed away, but Terry Gollick's the one who extended or turned Zach Kloss from interim head coach into just head coach. She made this decision when Zach Kloss had a 5-20 and 20 D1 record and a three and 13 record in conference. Since that time, Zach Kloss has gone, has continued on to be nine and 47 against D1 teams since then, and eight and 37 in conference, which is to say he has been about identical to what he was as an awful interim or slightly worse in his two plus year run that he's been in Idaho, which is evident, another evidence point. If you're a person saying he needs more time, the longer he's here, it isn't ultimately better. It's better this year only if you refer to la the 2020-2021 season, which was the worst basketball team any of us are ever going to watch. That, that team had the worst scoring margin in the Big Sky Conference at negative 15.6, not just last year, but it was tied for worst in the 21st century. Even with the improvements that Idaho had this, Idaho had this year, our scoring margin just a little better than negative seven. That was still clustered right at the bottom with terrible teams. And it was right in the bottom cluster of what every group of bad teams would have been the big sky heading back through the 21st century. I know because I've looked at the numbers. There was a, there's just always a cliff from teams that are right around zero to negative two. Those are your 500 level teams to your bottom of the conference. That's always around like negative six, negative seven. So yeah, Idaho improved from historically catastrophically bad to just run-of-the-mill awful lose-your-job level bad, which if that's your reference point, that's okay, I guess. But keep in mind, if it's a three-year reference, this year's team isn't necessarily better than the first year Klaus was here. It's about identical when Klaus still had uh, had some of Verlin's, a few more of Don Verlin's players and the assistant coaching staff had not turned over. So, if your reference point is three years, this is this team is almost identical to this first year. That is no improvement, Dallas. But you did some research on the argument. Well, what if he just needs more time? It just takes a long time to turn programs around, doesn't it, Dallas? Oh, it takes a very long time to turn programs around. Uh, let's take a look at some of the coaches that were hired at the same time Zach Kloss was. Uh, Danny Sprinkle, for example, taking over the Montana State program. Now, they weren't terrible like Idaho was in Verlin's final year. They were a middling program in the big sky. So Danny Sprinkle takes over from Brian Fish. Brian Fish goes 65 and 92, won 15 games in his final season. Since then, Danny Sprinkle has gone 55 and 32 with 49 Division I wins, improving every single year, and then winning the conference this season and, and looking pretty damn good doing it. By the way, they uh, won so the conference in conference play, they won the big sky conference tournament this year. His second year, they lost in the Big Sky Conference Tournament Championship. Yep, thank you. Should have uh, should have added the extra clarification there. So obviously a uh, sprinkling their way to the top, you could say. Um, sorry, that was really stupid. I regret saying that. Uh, other coaches hired at the same time. Shane Bar Barkar at NAU. He took over from Jack Murphy. Jack Murphy went 78 and 149, so lost almost twice as many games as he won. 
pretty awful program. Shane Burkhart in his three years has gone 31 and 53 with 21 division one wins, excuse me, 27 division one wins. Uh, won 16 games in his first year. They haven't been great since, but they didn't have any seniors on last year's team. And assuming they bring most of their roster back, they should be considerably better than they were. Maybe the most relevant person to talk about is Ryan Looney at Idaho state, Idaho state in his three years there, 28 and 56 with 19 division one wins. People are talking like he's he, obviously the Idaho state was the worst team in the conference this season, except when they played Idaho. People have said, hey, this 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 guy's probably not going to be here for long because it's not going well. He has 10 more wins than Zach Kloss, so keep that in mind. Take a look at Todd Simon. Todd Simon at Southern Utah took over an absolutely terrible team, 29 and 90 under the previous head coach, Nick Robinson. Six, Simon, six wins before Todd Simon's first year. Yes, won six wins the year before. They have won 20 games each of the last two seasons. Before that, they won 17 games the two seasons before that, and then 13 games the season before that. They have been on an actual legitimate trajectory upward and never once said, hey, we're going from suck to mostly suck. That has never been the case. You can go through David Riley at Eastern. Took over from Shantae Leggins, which obviously that was a great program. They had just come off of an NCAA tournament appearance. But Leggins took that entire roster with him to Portland. Six players remained from the previous season, and four of those six combined for 71 total minutes. So realistically, two contributors from that that were on the previous season's roster, they went 18 and 15 this year in Cheney. Obviously, that has been a program that has been successful, but completely brand new roster. They come in and were a considerably better team than Idaho. Which, as a reference point, Zach Kloss is 14-61 in D1 games in three years. Now, your David Riley stats count non-D1 games, so I'm going to bring that up here for the symmetry. Kloss in all games total is 18 and 61. So David Riley on a complete factory reset in one year at Eastern Washington, recruiting to the city of Cheney and the facilities of Cheney, won as many games in his one season as that Kloss has in three years. Jumping back to Todd Simon, just to show, like, we're not just staring at numbers, guys. The, the point of the numbers is what they are signifiers of. Todd Simon... It, at Southern Utah, immediately there was a beneficial imprint from having Todd Simon at the program. They won six wins. They had six wins their first year. Okay, so holding steady. Second year, 13 wins. That's doubling. The third year, 17 wins. And look, the COVID year, Big Sky, Southern Utah wins the Big Sky Conference regular season championship. They lose in the tournament, but still, they won league in regular season. That's what we're talking about with the wins is if this guy knows what he's doing, any head coach, the fruits of a coach being effective, knowing what he's doing is you're going to see the product in front of your eyes get better. And you're going to see it evolve in a way that is meaningful relative to what your starting benchmark is. That hasn't happened in Idaho. We've gotten worse defensively. I will give Kloss. This is the best offensive team he's had in his three years. But the caveat that we have to keep in mind, it's because he Kloss's first two teams were just abominable offensively, just offensive rating. We were 11th out of 11 in the Big Sky his first year and the 329th worst offensive team in the nation his interim year. His second year, we were 11th out of 11 in offensive rating in the Big Sky or the 337th worst offensive team in the nation, so worse. This year, we moved up to the 208th uh, best or worst offensive team in the nation. 
number seven out of 11 in the big sky. So the first time we're not in the cellar, but keep in mind, it took a third season. And even though we had some moments, they had given credit. He had a better offensive strategy this year. We'll talk about the fruits of what worked. Even what worked wasn't that much. It was better. We went from catastrophically awful to kind of middling, but that's the improvement we're talking about. There's no facet of this program that you can look at and say, because that class has been a part of it, it is meaningfully better, at least in relation to what we see on the court. And I, I also have to tell you, because look, we have, we talked to alums, we talked to other media figures. Kloss is an open joke amongst both crews about having no offensive, uh, no defensive strategy whatsoever. And offensively, if the team can't run, again, essentially no strategy. We talked about it all year. Half court, this team did not get better in the half court, really. We had a few game run where we looked okay. But otherwise, there's just nothing that improved meaningfully. We have offense because we changed strategy, which is good news, and there are some better players. But the improvements were marginal, and that's it. Everything else was pretty dang identical. I mean, we can look at turnovers if you want to. Again, turnovers, let's let's uh, operationalize this. Turnovers you might call uh, forced or needless fuck-ups during a game. Well, Zach Loss, his first two years, we were 11th out of 11 big sky in turnovers. This year, we jumped all the way to 10th out of 11. So in his best year, we're just still at the bottom of the conference. There's There's just no metric that you can point to where you'd say this is where Zach Claus has had a positive influence here. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to run out of things to even theoretically look at uh, as, cause I truly, I don't know what the influence is that you'd call positive because Dallas before uh, you've been filibuster dude. But if you want to talk about players coming to the program, we've had this army of guys leave. We have not had a single class recruit transfer out to go D one. All the guy of all the guys who transferred out and left Idaho since Kloss has been here, every single one that landed D1, we had BJ Simmons, who was here for a minute, then went to he ended up at UT Rio Grande. Scott Blakeney went to Montana. We had Markel Frazier went to Detroit. And then Tanner Christensen, he will land D1 somewhere. None of them were Kloss recruits. So even look, we did look, Mikey Travante and uh, Rashad are all good recruits for sure. If any of them transfer, they'll be D1. But at this point, that's it. I mean, that's like, that's the thing. There's, there's nothing we are obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel to even try to find arguments for there's things that this team does well, or there's positives to take out of this. Yeah. If a bunch of guys were leaving the program and going to other D one schools, it, it would still sting, but at least it would be like, okay, they're, they're going to maybe better programs, maybe disagreement with the coach, whatever. Got it. But like you said, Brian, not a single class guy has gone to another D one school. They leave and go D2 or NAIA or maybe just don't play again. Like, it's just, it's maddening. Something I want to circle back on real quick. You you spoke about the offense and finishing 7th of 11 this year. The one positive thing we have talked about, you're muted again. Um, the one positive thing that we've talked about this year is the offense. There's still a bottom half team in the big sky. I don't think we've harped on that hard enough. We've talked about how the offense has carried this team, and if they shoot hot, they can beat most of the teams in the conference. They still finished in the bottom half of the big sky. Like, So our improvement went from being catastrophically terrible to still bottom half of the big sky, which is not a very good basketball conference. It's not like this is some massive explosion and they're turning into a Gonzaga-like offense. No, they're still in the, the bottom half of this league. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, we're we're closing in on what else is there to evaluate. I, just because I consider us the fairest show in the universe, he does deserve credit for having recruited some offensively talented guys that made up for our lack of of half court strategy. Agreed. But look, he does get credit for for the guys he brought in. Mikey Dixon was a good player. He made honorable mention in all league. Another piece of news we forgot. Uh, Trayvonte Anderson picked it up a lot in the second half of the year, but hey, Zach Kloss did recruit him. Uh, Rashad Smith is looking, I mean, he's a nice contributor. That that was a recruit also coming out of Zach Kloss. But even, in, like you said, in spite of those things, we made top seven in the big sky offensively. That's also on the back of, we, we've exhausted this really in talking about our wins. When Idaho wins, we have, we do have some very good looking offensive nights, like, you know, against South Dakota State, offensive rating of 130.7, where we shoot over 50% from both field and from three. But even with all those, there's still a lot of real rough offensive showings out of this team. That's why we finished at number seven in the league in offensive efficiency, because for every, you know, again, for every single game like Weber State, where we beat Weber State 83-79 in Moscow, shooting 58.5%, for an offensive rating of 113.7 for every game like that, you have losing to Montana by 19 where we have an offensive rating of 87.3, or you have losing to Sacramento state by 32 with an offensive rating of 71.8 or losing to Utah Valley by 40 with an offensive rating of 58.4, meaning we would need more than 100 possessions to even get 60 points. So there that isn't to disregard the good outings because we did have some good outings. There's a reason we had some hope and look opening game against Long Beach State. Well, Long Beach State almost made the tournament. That's another game people point to of, hey, Idaho looked good against a good team. It's just the path was clear. We had to have apex level offensive nights made mostly by our guys creating shots, which they could. But the offense around them certainly didn't help create shots for them when the game slowed down. And we had a lot of games where the game slowed down. I mean that's the like that's the thing. If you look at the the advanced ratings, the defensive rating against Sacramento State was a ninety one point nine. That's an outstanding performance. That's the best performance of the season when you take out the American Indian College. But then you have to point it back in at well, the offensive rating was an eighty seven because Sacramento State plays plays slow games. So even the when you're trying to look at advanced metrics and say oh b- best defensive performance of the season at the end. Not really. If you if you watched it with your eyes, which is probably why there's not a lot of people that are so mad at this, to, to loop this whole discussion back, maybe the reason people aren't, you said it's obviously fatigue, maybe people just aren't watching this anymore. Because honestly, if we weren't talking about this, I probably wouldn't be. I My, my roommate from uh, college into post-college, both of us went to U of I. Both of us were in the media program, went to all these terrible games under the, the end of the Rob Akey years. The, the newly years before they became the, the Idaho Vandal women that we know and love, watched a ton of basket, bad basketball. Our, we had agreed, hey, if they ever get this arena done, we're getting season tickets, we're going to be there for the first game. I couldn't tell you the last time he watched a game. Actually, I could tell you the last time he watched a game. It was Victor Sanders' senior year. It was the last time he watched a game. If I didn't have this show, I, I don't know if I would be watching. So props to the, the handful of you in the comment section the handful of you on only tubs, the handful of us that follow on Twitter and, and, and Instagram and YouTube and Twitch and all the other places that we're at props to you for paying attention to this, because this, 
this is this is just bad and it's been four years of just like you said brian absolute trash and even when we try to find the positives there's no real positive here it's a slight improvement from terrible to pretty bad and i want to talk about something we we just have to bring up too which is attendance attendance got a boost this year from the iccu opening up and it's a gorgeous facility it's the best facility in the conference it's not close that it's the best facility in the conference we're only gonna get a boost of attendance from iccu being new for maybe one more year and even with it being new we still only had a couple games the entire season where the upper deck uh, sideline bleacher seats were pulled out, which is to say, even when we had a separate reason to pull people in, this team was not good enough to get over 2000 butts in the seats really more than a few times the entire year. And our best attended game against WSU, we lost by 48. So to me, I guess the thing I want to shift over to, because look, if you've listened to this and you can't put together that Klaus Clearly, Klaus has no clue what he's doing on a defensive end. There's just none. Three years were bottom three, well into the bottom 300 of defensive teams in the nation. There, He just doesn't know what he's doing the end. Uh, offensively, we did improve this year to being okay, kind of okay. So, look, we will give him that. We improved being kind of okay, and there was a change in strategy to help explain it. But keep in mind, we weren't that good offensively. It was more that we were not terrible offensively. But so if you, and with recruits, we already covered recruits, but there is just no way to listen to this and put together that we think there's any feasible case to keeping Klaus. It doesn't cost much money. It's $75,000 total to, to buy out his contract. It'd be 81 if we buy out his contract before the April uh, pay, before his April paycheck comes in. It also, it costs us less money to fire him quicker because our liabilities cut in half the moment he's fired. I don't know if, how much more Idaho can really take in terms of losing attendance. In 2019, pre-ICCU, our final pre-ICCU season, look, we, we saw this in the Matt Brown interview where he went over the consultant report for Portland State with us, but we saw Idaho stats in there. Idaho made $36,000 of the gate total in 2019, Klaus's interim season, because no one wanted to go watch us be terrible. ICCU is artificially propping up numbers right now because it's exciting. We don't really have that much. And this this venue just needs 60% capacity to be the best venue in the conference. And we're about, we we have to be able to capitalize on that. Well, we've already thrown one of the years away because we gave it to Zach Kloss. And this is what we have. So I guess shifting back to you, Dallas, everyone knows we don't think there's any argument to keep him. I mean, do you, do you have any long-term concerns like I do? about if he's around another year because i'm gonna push back on it a little bit um only because of what we've seen with Eck and the excitement around the exciting new era of the vandal program uh yes it would have been nice if petrino had been gone before and the the interest in the program hadn't dwindled to the point that it had but we've seen an increased social media presence we've seen the coaches out there trying to do their best and and get people excited and obviously we've even seen a an uptick in listeners and Patreons because people are excited about Vandal football. So I don't, I don't know if we're going to ruin the arena and ruin Vandal attendance by hanging on to Klaus for another year, because I think if they get the, the if they get it right, they're going to get it right. And things are going to turn around. Let me, hold on. Let me clarify and then jump back to you. 
I'm not saying ruin the arena. I'm saying a new facility gives you an artificial bump that can take you to a higher level of attendance and energy than you would without the new facility. So like a new coach in Cowan, we'd still get an increased attendance with a new coach, but our ceiling of increased attendance in is going to be lower. Well, we have a better place that it's an event to go see the new arena that adds to potential attendance. It's only an event to see the new arena for a couple of years. Fair enough. I guess, uh, I guess you got me on that one because I've spoken with it honestly and openly. If Klaus is gone, I am buying season tickets next year immediately. Absolutely immediately. Uh, the new venue is incredible, but I guess you're right. It's not, it's not something that I'm going to be rushing down to go see five years from now. Uh, next year, still, yes. Uh, probably the third year. After that, if they're not fantastic or they're not better than what they are right now, then yeah, it's it's not one of those, I got to make the trip just to go experience it. So, you know what? You got me. You are absolutely correct in that. So at this point, I mean, realistically, we're at, we're at wait and see. Uh, we... Look, we, there's just no reason to keep the guy at this point. There's no you, – you can do the eye test like we talked about. In three years, the improvements only exist if, you're ref, if you pretend his first year doesn't count, which, by the way, it's almost not fair to have his first year not count because his first year is one of his two best years. If you take his first year out, the, that win total against D1 teams, that goes down from 14 to 8 in two years. So it's, it's not like things get better if we pretend his interim year didn't count. I don't know what else to add, man. Uh, it's, it's almost half a decade. If we, if we, I do think people should exercise caution because we know we're not going to get any news right now. And just because we don't have news today and we probably won't get news this week, that doesn't mean things won't change. But I know even talking about this, man, I'm getting my Vandal PTSD. Of it's been four years of awful basketball. The start of this year at the Long Beach State game, I thought we were out of that. Not not being good, just okay and being fun. And then we weren't. So now even just having him stay honest, coach, it almost feels like that itself is making it harder to understand what's going on when it's only been a few days since the tournament ended. These things do take time. Golic is choosing to move at her own pace. She is keeping this very, very tight. So I guess fingers crossed and hope, hope we have news to we have better news coming in the future. I know I can't wait for the episode where we get to say, hey, this is done, and we're talking about a new coach, a new coaching search, or I don't know what the or is because I'm not going to give up. I mean, I'm certainly not letting it go if we have a, fifth, a fourth year of Zach Claus. But Dallas, I guess, where are you at at this point of – we know nothing's going to happen this week, so might as well relax. But just the just because he's still here, man, it just feels like he's going to still be here, which doesn't mean he will, but it feels that way. And, and it feels that way because, uh, like you had mentioned already, uh, A.D. Golic is keeping this one pretty close to the chest. Um, not to toot our own horns, but uh, Brian doing the massive bulk of the work to get the Paul Petrino story broken and out before maybe the athletic department wanted it to be released. Maybe that's what's going on here. Uh, maybe that we're not hearing anything because, you know, it's, it's going to be done under cloak and dagger and as quietly and 
quickly as possible once that point has ha- has has happened. Maybe that point isn't here yet. Um, you know, what, what we were told was Petrino knew well before we even broke the story that it was over. Maybe Klaus knows. Maybe Klaus doesn't know. Who, who knows what is actually going on? The only person that truly knows what's going on is Terry Golick. And I don't have her on speed dial. I doubt Brian does. I doubt many of you do. We're probably just not going to hear anything until a month from now. He's either the coach or he's not. And that's that that is what it is. It's it, it is that terrifying feeling of well, if I were in charge, I would have canned him already, and we would have publicly started the coaching search and been moving on this. That's not the speed this current iteration of the athletic department goes. And we just kind of have to sit and sit and clench and hope and pray. Which, which I will say, and then we can close it out because we're, I mean, look, look, there's just no argument to keep Klaus. The eye test, he fails all that. He fails any single reasonable metric. There's just no reason to keep the dude. 11 big sky wins in three years is preposterous, especially for a school like Idaho, where we're competing with Sacramento. We're competing with Sacramento State. How we're excited this year that we improved to be as bad as Sacramento State. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just different. Sacramento State, who had an interim coach appointed in November. Yep, interim coach appointed in November. Yeah, that's how that's the Sacramento State scenario. We were as good as them. Um, well, not as good. We lost to them two yeah, we times. We're not as good as them. I will say, even if it takes a long time, that's fine. As long as we get a new coach, because look, people are anxious about Jason Eck taking a while. No one gives a shit that Jason Eck took a long time to get hired now. So, provided we get a new coach, look, we'll all look back. Um, after he's honestly, I expect we'll all look back at if he is fired and just say, okay, it's time to relax. Last coaching search was fine. Took a little bit of time, but who cares? We got a good guy. Um, we're going to trust the process. Then we'll evaluate the results, but um, that, there's nothing else to do. The other reason there's concern about basketball is Golic actually hired Klaus as a head coach in the first place. That means she's got to hire a guy. She has to accept what a catastrophic failure that decision has been. And it's one of her own guys. She hired Petrino wasn't a guy that she had hired uh, W. Buchanan in volleyball was not someone Terry Golic had hired. So we, that's part of why people are anxious is it feels like that probably makes it different because Golic has to accept how a uh, choice she made. No one, until we learn otherwise, no one made Terry Golic hires at Klaus. She made that decision. She is in the paper. I'm going to clear court. that up. Extend Zach Claus. Technically, he was promoted by a different person. You are correct. Uh, well, he was promoted to head coach from interim. Yeah. No one made Terry offer him that contract. Terry's quoting the paper saying, you know what? Decide we just had the right guy under our nose. She came on our show and had no greater compliment to give him than Claus was a rule follower. Uh, check that old interview if you're curious. But you know what? We'll see. There's reasons why people are anxious. But if we get rid of Klaus, it all goes away. And if we don't, it's a different thing, Dallas. I mean, I've I've got nothing else to add. I I don't understand it. it I think the only reason we're even having this discussion is because we are still dumbfounded by the fact that he was given this contract in the first place uh, after a not great year as the interim coach. Sacramento State, just to to put the full pin on this, Sacramento State's interim coach won six conference games and was not immediately promoted to head coach. I'm assuming they're going to do a coaching search. They're going to figure out if they've got the right guy for the job instead of promote him at the end of the season and see what it... 
I, I just I can't make the argument. There is there is no argument. There is no reason that he should have been the coach for the last two years, much less potentially the coach next year. It's it's time to move on, cut the losses, cut bait. It's the sunk cost fallacy all over this place, and it just it it's time to just cut it and move on. Yeah, Idaho with the new arena. Other than like the Power Five schools like Gonzaga, Idaho is going to be a draw in the West. It's not going to be hard to recruit to ICCU and the University of Idaho. This is a job that a lot of good guys are going to, a lot of guys would love to start their careers off at University of Idaho and move on. A lot of good guys would like to get their careers back on track at University of Idaho. What we we'll need, wait. what we need, I'm going to shift back for a second. We need a guy who's going to laugh the Zach Kloss buyout. If that's a stipulation of the next guy's contract, we need to be offering a guy who's good enough to just absolutely laugh that contract out of the room. Paul Petrino didn't have such a catastrophically uh, unfavorable buyout of half his salary. Kloss had that offer because he wasn't a good candidate from day one. That that stipulation would not have made it through if he was a good candidate anyway. That's the kind of guy we need. I think it's time to uh, call it a day, Dallas, unless you have something else you want to add. Um, let's hope that Christmas is over soon. And Martin, pr- producer Martin, you've been on the shelf before we call it a night. Anything you want to add to the conversation? I just want this to be over. I'm surprised you guys made it an hour just talking this this men's basketball season recap, whatever you want to call it. It was Amazed what you guys can talk about for an hour. Well, we went over it because we had purposely not talked about the coaching part throughout the season. Like we alluded to it, but we wanted to, we didn't want to have a conversation every day. I'm fine calling it night, guys. Thanks everyone who watched live. Thanks everyone who don't, everyone who's going to download. Thank you to our own hashtag only tub patrons. Join at patreon.com backslash tubs at the club. And it's time for Kobe Cuff to play us out. And to close the book on Idaho basketball, unless, fingers crossed, we've got new coach news someday, go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. Go Vandals.